Jonathan, listen to that inspirational music. Uh, my name is Matt Andrews. Welcome back to another episode of The Agony of Defeat. Uh, and this is Jonathan Weiler. Matt, good to be back with you. And yes, the music evokes powerful and fond memories. Are you tearing up yet? You will. <laughs> you, you will in this podcast. Uh, Only a matter of time. In case you can't figure it out, that's what Jonathan and I, what we want to talk about. You, you, if you've listened to us be, before, you know that we like baseball. Um, we know that no one else likes baseball, but we know that we like baseball. And so every chance we, we can, we like mid, to talk mid, about Mid-50s white guys, we're just playing to type. So. Jonathan, we're, this is a podcast. People can't see us. We have no color. So <laughs> to our credit. Fair enough. Yeah, so today we, we really wanted to talk about the Field of Dreams game, which happened in, in early August. Uh, Jonathan, what were the two teams that played in the Field of Dreams game? Uh, the, the White Sox and the Yankees. Who are you pulling for in this game? <laughs> well, since I am a Yankee fan, I was, I, was, I was pulling for the Yankees. So the Field of Dreams game was uh, really, I remember when I first heard it, well, look, I'm always a a little suspicious uh, of anything Major League Baseball does. And then when I heard that they were planning this Field of Dreams game, they were going to play it, uh, what well, turns out not on the exact Field of Dreams, but they built a sort of duplicate Field of, 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 of Dreams um, in the middle of an Iowa cornfield. You've never seen the movie. This is the Kevin Costner film based on the W.P. Kinsella book in which uh, supernatural forces collide and ballplayers appear in his... Uh, in his cornfield and Major League Baseball. Kevin Costner hears a voice that tells him to plow under his cornfield and build a baseball field instead, even though that's going to undermine his livelihood. If you build it, they will come. And it turns out 8,000 people will come, which was maximum capacity at this game. Fox Sports will come. And Jonathan, you know, this is the largest audience for a regular season baseball game since 2005. Wow. Um, wow. They knew what they were doing when they came wow. up with the plan for the field. The largest, of uh, TV audience. TV audience, excuse Sorry. me. Yeah, yeah. Largest yeah. Yeah. for a regular season game in yeah. uh, 16 years. It was supposed to be last year. COVID put it on, on hiatus. It was the White Sox, for reasons that have to do with the movie, it's White Sox players that are featured in there, and we'll talk a little bit about that, against your Yankees. And it was a great game. It was a great game. Uh, an incredible game, actually. An incredible game. I mean, the, the White Sox had a 7-4 to four lead going into the ninth inning, and the Yankees scored four runs in the top of the ninth to take an 8-7 to seven lead. And then in the bottom of the ninth, Tim Anderson, the White Sox great young shortstop, hit a two-run homer to walk off uh, for a 9-8 White Sox victory. And I've read little about this game, actually, but I bet there are people out there who said it was a Hollywood ending. Um, <laughs> I, I, I guarantee you that line was, was, was used. And I watched a little bit of it on, on TV. I got to say, man, I was sold. I, I, I thought it was cool um, watching the players walk out of the cornfield, just like in the movie. Not only did I get goosebumps then, I'm actually getting goosebumps now talking about it. That's how how romantic I can get about baseball. And then and then watching the game in that that Iowa sky, that 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 that, that open air pink and orange sunset sky. Jonathan, I think it's probably the the most beautiful major league game ever played. Mm -hmm. Maybe so. Maybe so. It was a lovely background 
amazing setting. Um, you know, Matt, I have to tell you a quick story since we're nostalgicizing about baseball and one of the important uh, through lines of Field of Dreams is Moonlight Graham, yep. right? The, 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 the young man who they pick up on the way to the ball field uh, who, who, had, who had appeared in one major league game, I guess in real life, yeah, real the life character too. in the movie was not going to get a shot to appear in a major league game, but got one at bat. Um, and then um, a little girl is in trouble. And so the young moon like Graham is forced, it responds to her. She's choking on, uh, she's choking on something and he goes to give her CPR. And in doing so, he steps over the first baseline and transforms from this young, wide-eyed, aspiring baseball player into the uh, venerable Burt Lancaster playing a physician. And Jonathan, no one who's seen the movie, if they haven't seen the movie, they have no idea what we're talking about. And it sounds completely stupid, but I'm here to tell you it is totally yeah. awesome. Yeah, yeah. It's a, so anyway. What's your personal story? Oh, so the personal story, it's actually, it's a friend story, but the, so. Make it I, about yourself, uh, that's more interesting. Well, okay, yeah. So we'll yeah. pretend it's a no. It's a, so a dear friend of mine, uh, who's been married to the same woman for many years. When they were first dating, he was visiting her family, and there was a jacket, like an old black leather jacket, that he saw that he just like he really liked it and felt an affinity for it. And they said, "Well, it actually belonged to this old family friend of ours, Sam Fishburn." And Sam Fishburne, it turns out, was an elite athlete, a Jewish athlete at Lehigh University in like the mid-19-teens, mid when typically Jewish folks were being banned from universities, et cetera. But because he was such a good athlete, he was welcomed into this fraternity that normally banned Jews, et cetera. And he actually, he played briefly in the major leagues a few years later. So anyway, my friend Jeffrey inherits this jacket from Sam Fishburne and he's so, he just feels this kinship and affinity with him. And Sam Fishburne had died many, many years ago. And Jeffrey calls me at home one night. This is probably around 1990. I'm 25 years old. It's a rotary phone on the wall in my mom's apartment. And Jeff calls me, he's like, I just inherited this jacket from Sam Fishburne who I understand played briefly in the major leagues, can you just look him up? So at the time, looking him up did not mean looking him up on the internet. Right. And then going into my bedroom and getting my 2,500 page baseball encyclopedia tome. You are the internet in this story. You have a question, you don't go to the internet, you call Jonathan Wyatt. Exactly, so I'm, I'm like leafing through all the pages. I get to Sam Fishburne, and when you scroll across the line, the first thing it gives is, date of birth and then date of death if they passed away. Right. So I'm looking at this and I'm on the phone with Jeff and I, I this shudder goes through my body, Matt, because I know what Sam Fishburne means to Jeff via this jacket. And Jeff is like, Jonathan, what's going on? And I say, Jeffrey, Sam Fishburne died on April 11th, 1965 which was the day that Jeff was born. Whoa. 
That should be a movie. That's oh, crazy. You know, I just, anyway. So I just make this connection between Field of Dreams and that somehow, because it feels like this cosmic force sort of pervading, you know, this this world. Well, that that that's a super weird story, um, you know, and th there are all these cosmic forces, you know, our, our um, producer extraordinaire, Daniel, is a is a UNC student. And I don't know if he knows this. Uh, Archibald Moonlight Graham in the movie, you know, he's a real guy. He had um, one game playing for the New York Giants, never got at bat. So he's on the field of dreams to fulfill that unfulfilled dream. Archibald Moonlight Graham is from Fayetteville. He went to UNC Chapel Hill. He played baseball at, at UNC Chapel Hill. And his brother was the president of the university at UNC Chapel Hill, Frank Porter Graham. So there's just all these little interesting links and stories with this this movie that, that is a crazy connection it's crazy connection for us unc folk yeah exactly yeah i you know speaking of connections they had kevin costner out on the field who who plays ray kinsella in the movie kevin costner looking older but still looks pretty good i thought getting out there you know kind of looking around like 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 in the movie and then the players come out of the cornfield and the music it was so cheesy it was so awesome all at the same time i gotta yeah. say i don't understand why he didn't throw out the first pitch to the man who played his father in the film. How did that not happen? The first pitch should have been Ray Kinsella to his father. Um, although I, if you haven't seen the movie, I guess I don't want to ruin the ending, but that's a, that's a theme, fathers and their children, fathers and sons in yes. this film. Um, all right, so Jonathan, I actually want to get a kind of American history on you and, and just kind of uh, talk to you and hear your thoughts about the, the, the episode that inspires the, the film field of dreams. Uh, for those who, who don't know, it's, it's sort of based on the 1919 Chicago Black Sox scandal, where members of the Black Sox, including a player named Shoeless Joe Jackson, are accused of taking money to throw the, the 1919 World Series for the benefit of gamblers. Um, and then uh, uh, the way it works in this film is that they're sort of resurrected they're re rejuvenated after being banished from 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 baseball and they get to play on this this field of of and, dreams and and it's worth noting that so field of dreams i believe came out in 1989 right um, and i think the year before the movie eight men out had come out which right was about, which was about the black Sox scandal and so this is a period when there's this real effort to revive Shoeless Joe's reputation. Yeah. That somehow it wasn't his fault. He was unwitting. He didn't really throw the World Series because as his defenders note, he actually batted 375 in that World Series. Um, and so, right, so I'm just, I mean, just as we get into this, it's worth noting that this is a time when there's this real interest in, essentially saying Joe Jackson was just unfairly banned from baseball for a scandal that was not his fault. Well, Shoeless Joe, Shoeless Joe Jackson, who's from South Carolina, and he, 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 he gets this name because when he's playing in the minor leagues, uh, Greenville, South Carolina, he's got a new pair of shoes and they're too, too tight. So he, he, he plays an inning barefoot and he gets the name Shoeless Joe Jackson and kind of bespeaks his his country roots, right? right? Innocent country boy, yep. Innocent yep. country boy who 
apparently was illiterate, couldn't read. Right. Um, you know, uh, just because he couldn't read doesn't mean he wasn't very smart. One of my favorite Shoeless Joe stories is he was standing at, at third base once and someone yelled at him, um, uh, hey, Shoeless Joe, can you spell cat? And he turned to the mister and he said, hey, mister, can you spell shit? Um, I don't exactly get it, but I think it's pretty smart and it kind of speaks to his, his, his knowledge base there. Um, you know, uh, Shoeless Joe Jackson, as I know you know, Jonathan, because you know all the baseball stats. In fact, I think I incorrectly corrected you about a baseball stat a couple of episodes ago. Oh, yeah, that's true, yeah. I forget what it was. I've already, I'm supposed it, to apologize. It was, Barry, it was Barry Bond's lifetime home run total. Yeah, it is 700. Well, doubly shame on you, Matt, because you're a San Francisco Giants fan. Yeah, that's true, but I'm an idiot. So I, those two <laughs> things cancel each other out. Well, I mean, this is not, we're not going to get into this now, but I think Barry Bonds, num that number is a lot of people just don't even really want to acknowledge it because they don't really think he's the home run king. So, well, he's been discredited like Shoeless Joe Jackson. We will yeah. all be venerating and watching films about Barry Bonds in about 40 <laughs> years. That's we'll a good realize how, what, what, what a misunderstood tortured genius he actually was. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, Shoeless Joe Jackson, of course, he has the third highest batting average in major league history. And I don't even have to ask you who are one and two and what are their numbers, but Jonathan, who are one and two and what are their numbers? All right, so Ty Cobb, now I will say when we were kids, Ty Cobb's batting average was listed as 367. I thought I was gonna get you on this one. But I believe over the years a hit was taken away and now it's 366. Ah, you're too good, all right, correct. And that is absolutely Oscar right. Hornsby is second at 358. Nailed uh, it. And Joe Jackson is third at 356. Very good, and I'm looking and at- I, And I'm not looking, I'm not looking yeah. up anything right now, just for the He doesn't have to do this, people. He just, <laughs> total recall when it comes to baseball stats. Yeah. So yeah. the third highest lifetime batting average ever, a very pretty swing. I mean, pictures of, of, of Shoeless Joe Jackson swinging are so beautiful. Uh, Babe Ruth patterned his a, own- A great outfielder too, by the way. Great outfielder, yep. Babe Ruth patterned his swing after Shoeless Joe. He called Shoeless Joe's swing the perfectest. And I think that's the perfect <laughs> word for it. And then, right, so Jackson is offered, um, well, he, he, by his own admission, he's offered $20,000 to help throw the World Series. Right. By his own admission, he took $5,000, he uh -huh. received it. Uh -huh. And he swears that he did nothing to throw the World Series. He just took the money uh, from I'm the gambler. Is the, is the story not that he was offered twenty? But he only got five. He only so got five. He was stiffed for the rest. He was stiff for the rest, yep. And that was one reason why he didn't actually go through with the fix, right? Yeah, um, or, or he just didn't have it in him, right? But there's right. no evidence. He committed no errors in the field. He had the best batting average of the series. He hit the right. only home run in the entire World Series. He says, yeah, I took the money, but I played my best, which you can't say for all the other White no. Sox. No. Um, no. Some of them clearly threw it. You know, I think you can make the argument with Shoeless Joe, first of all, that once he knows other people on his team are doing this, he would have been an idiot not to take the money. Yeah, true. Guys are throwing it anyway. Yeah. Uh, he only made $6,000 that year. So $5,000 is an entire year's salary. Not taking the money would have been the wrong thing to, to do. And instead, so he takes the money, the the White Sox lose the World Series to the they Cincinnati. Also, they all hated their owner, did they not? 
They hated Charles Comiskey. Yeah. yeah, if you if you've seen the movie Eight Men Out that you were just referencing, that movie and the book pretty much make the argument that the whole thing was Comiskey's fault. He just paid his players. Such a cheapskate and yep, such a cheapskate, such a miser. Um, don't know that those, I, I, those, those White Sox teams. We should note, Matt. Also, those were great teams. I mean. They won the World Series in 1917, their last one so. until 2005. Right. Um, and in 1990, it wasn't just Shoeless Joe. They, they had several players on that team who were or would become or would have become Hall of Famers had it not been for the scandal. So this, this was a juggernaut of a baseball team. Yeah, I mean, the, the New York Yankees are about to come around in the 1920s, but this is arguably one of the great teams in, in baseball history up until that yeah. point. But I put them yeah. up there with some of the Cubs teams and the Pirates and the Giants teams of the, yeah. of the previous decade. Yeah, and Jonathan, something that I recently learned is that Charles Comiskey was so cheap that a couple years earlier, he made his players launder their own uniforms because he, he didn't want to pay for it. And so they stopped washing their uniforms entirely and their uniforms got so dirty and they stank so bad that the Chicago press started calling them the Black Sox instead of the White Sox. Matt, I did not know that. So okay. that name actually predates the scandal, at least this is what I've read. I always thought it was associated with, yeah, the, me too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With, with the scandal. But here's the thing about Shoeless Joe. So he takes the money, he probably doesn't throw the World Series but he's banned forever from baseball, right? Commissioner Landis comes After in. the following season. After the following, yeah, the, right. the story they, did not break right away. Right, they play in 1920, and then the story really comes out during 1920. Yeah, there was one guy, a reporter named Hugh Fullerton, who was making some noise about it, and the owners went after him and just said, that's un-American, how can you question baseball? And then- uh, I think Babe Ruth gets traded to the Yankees that offseason, and so the story goes away. But it comes back Babe Ruth later. Got traded that offseason by the Red Sox owner because he needed to fund his Broadway show, No, No, Nanette. <laughs> no, No, Nanette. That's right. So he, so yeah, I guess he actually sells Babe Ruth. He trades him for money. He sells Babe Ruth to the Yankees, and of course <laughs> that sets in motion a century-long odyssey in baseball history. Yeah, bad news yeah. for the Red Sox fans. Going to go out on a limb here saying that was a bad move for the Red Sox. Uh, <laughs> stroke of luck for the Yankees. Yeah, for sure. But, but so here's the thing. So Shoeless Joe Jackson, he's one of the great hitters of all time. Yeah. Um, but if he wasn't part of the Black Sox scandal, he'd probably just be up there with guys like Tris Speaker and, you know, Walter Johnson, guys who I know you know of, because you know everyone who's ever yeah, played major yeah, league. No, no, but, right, but your point is that we wouldn't, it, like he'd be part of the pre-Babe Ruth generation of baseball players. Yeah, I don't think most people would know about him. Um, I think you're right. Instead, he gets wrapped up in this scandal maybe justly accused, maybe unjust. Well, he's, he's justly accused of having taken money to throw a game. I just don't yes, think that, yeah. that, yeah. that he threw a game. Um, yeah. He gets caught up in this scandal and he kind of becomes this, this mythic figure, this, this, this folk figure. Say it ain't so, Joe. I mean, that line comes from the Joe Jackson story. He's yeah. bigger than he ever would have been yeah. had he never been involved in this scandal. Yeah, yeah. 
And, and so I think that's the irony that he's actually more famous than he otherwise would have been. Um, and of course, he's not on the Hall of Fame and now he can't be in the Hall of Fame. It's actually because of Pete Rose. Um, uh, it's, it's because of Pete Rose that they decided to put a new rule in that says if you've been banned from baseball, you can't be in the Hall of Fame. But he was never elected into the Hall of Fame. I don't know. You and I like to talk about this. You're in charge of the Hall of Fame. Is Shoeless Joe Jackson in there? So if it's up to me, Shoeless Joe Jackson and Pete Rose are both in the Hall of Fame. Oh, well, Pete Rose is in, Shoeless Joe's in, right? Well, I guess well, you could make it. I guess you can make yeah, it. Distinct. I mean, look, Pete, I mean, as as Pete Rose will tell you, <laughs> yeah, well, after many years of denying he gambled at all on baseball, of course, what he would say is, look, I bet on my own team to win. Right. right. I never tried to throw anything. If anything, it just I mean, he always tried hard anyway. But yeah, um, I would say that being accused of throwing a game is certainly Fair enough. gambling on your own team. Well, and it, 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 it's because of Shoeless Joe Jackson, the Pete Rose and everyone knows yes. no matter what, yes. you can never gamble on baseball. Yes. And I know, I mean, now you're getting into the larger question of to what extent should sort of morals kinds of issues influence whether people should get into the Hall of Fame and baseball has a self-image that it wants to uphold. I don't happen to share that self-image. And so I have less of a problem with people like Rose and Joe Jackson and even the steroids guys getting in the Hall of Fame. Okay. Um, because I just feel like they, they, they put up the numbers they did and there's no really good criteria we have for saying who should be, who of those players should be in and should be out. And we should just go by performance on the field. So I think I mostly agree with you there. I'm going to ask you a different question. And I actually hate doing this to you because if you were to ask me this question, I don't know how I would answer it. So I'm hoping well, on I'm you definitely going to ask you that question. I'm hoping on you being more insightful than me. You talked about Shoeless Joe Jackson and America re remembering him and to a large extent rejuvenating his image. I mean, Field of Dreams rejuvenates the image of oh Shoeless Joe Jackson, right? Look, it, it turns him almost literally into a god, actually. I, I guess so. He comes out of the cornfield. He's already yeah. dead, but he appears yeah. on this he field. He's a he's supernatural this, figure. He's this godlike entity. He's Ray Kinsella's father's favorite player. He always thinks he was unjustly accused. And, and we see how much he loves the game of baseball in this movie. Yes. What do you think, what was going on in America at the time, do you think, that made people, this is the question and that I think is so, so hard, that yeah. made people be interested in, in pulling this, this name from, from the past, this name that had been sullied in the 1920s yeah. and turning him into this, this figure. Any thoughts there? I have, a, I have a thought and I'm interested in your reaction to it, Matt. This is the Reagan years. Yeah. And I feel like the Reagan years were in some ways all about this nostalgia for an America gone by. I, I, I think it has something to do with that. I, th I mean, the, the slogan that Trump used, make America great again, yeah. Reagan used that in 1980. Yeah, that's right. Someone plagiarized that line. <laughs> yeah, and I just, um, I don't know. I think, I think that's at least part of it. 
So even this sort of wicked, infamous episode from baseball's past is still baseball's past. And so people are willing to forgive and forget, especially well, since and, it's a dubious charge. And I guess Joe Jackson in particular is easy enough to see as sort of a sad, tragic figure. Yeah. Certainly, he wasn't, we know he wasn't the mastermind no. of anything. Right. Um, and he was just great at one thing. And why can't we just enjoy him for that? Why do we have to muddy our discussion of things like baseball with all this extraneous stuff? Um, so simple country boy who kind of falls prey to greed and temptation in the big city. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. And so we just want to relate to that story. Yeah. I, uh, I, it's, I those, it's, it's those corrupt urbanites, you know, who are undermining the good old country values of America. Well, and you were just, you know, talking about our, our most recent president. And, you know, in, in, in some ways, I, you said corrupt urbanites. And you and I both know throughout American history, that's code for anti-Semitism. Yes, yes, very much so. And the guy who is often pointed to as the ringleader or as the brain, certainly the bankroll behind the whole yes. scheme, maybe not the brains behind it, but the yes. bankroll behind the, behind the whole scheme is Arnold Rothstein, the, the New York underground gambler, heroin trafficker, you know, a, a yes. seedy character. And, an, and I think his sort of, his gopher in all this was a was a great former Jewish fighter, Abi Attell. I guess Abi Attell um, was Jewish. Yeah, I, I, yes, I, I know. I think of him as a prize fighter. And he was Jewish, huh? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So anyway, so it allowed, yeah, allowed those accusations to be made. I'm sure Henry Ford made that accusation at some point. Well, I mean, I, I, I believe it was the Sporting News um, had this virulently anti-Semitic sort of coverage of the scandal once it broke because of because of because of who who masterminded it because of Rothstein yeah what do you think of that Matt that no I think that, that makes sense yeah. A, yeah. yeah you know I, I, I think about it in the context of all the scandals in baseball history um, you know, the biggest scandal in baseball history is not letting black players play play yes. Major League Baseball for, yes. for, for half a century. And of course, the guy who really, you know, made that the rule and kept that the rule was Kennesaw Mountain Landis, the guy who banished the first commissioner who, who, who comes in to save baseball after the Black Sox scandal and banishes Joe, Joe Jackson. Maybe it was just part of our realization that everything started as having saved baseball, right? Yeah, right, right. He, he, yeah. he and Babe Ruth saved baseball. Um, maybe it was our realization that Kennesaw Mountain Landis, the more we were learning about him, wasn't as infallible, you know, as, as, as infallible as people thought. He certainly yeah. thought of himself as the god of baseball. Maybe it's part of that as so, well. So Landis was baseball's first commissioner and his first act as commissioner was to ban Jackson and several other Chicago White Sox players for the scandal. And he died in 1944. And as long as he was commissioner over his dead body, yeah. would a black player ever play in the major leagues? Yeah, whenever he got word that a team might be thinking about signing a black player, he saw to it that that did not happen. And, right. and so it's, it's not a coincidence that Jackie Robinson was signed to a minor league contract 
right? I think for the first time in 1945. 1945, right. The year after Landis died. Yep, right? yep. World War II has ended and Kennesaw Mountain Landis has died. And I'm not sure which of those two forces is, is right. more important right. in the desegregation right. of baseball. Jonathan, so we're just sort of, you and I are just riffing about this because we, we love talking about this stuff. But where do you put Field of Dreams on your all-time favorite baseball movies list? Okay, so of course, I know this is cliche, but number one is and will always be Pride of the Yankees. Oh my God, really? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Gary Cooper playing Lou Gehrig. That's ba ba All right. ba Babe Ruth appearing as himself in the movie. <laughs> you know. I need to go back and watch that again. It's oh, been a oh, long and time. And the final, you know, his famous final speech, of course, you know, today yeah. I consider myself, it's really... I I I'll be surprised if you're not moved to tears by, by 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 the by the end of that movie. Uh, it's true. Pride of the Yankees and Brian song, the two movies, the two sports yeah. movies that, that make me. Exactly. And, and actually, um, Field of Dreams makes me cry every time I see uh -huh. the ending as well. Oh, you know, another one, Matt. Speaking of baseball movies that make me cry, um, Bang the Drum Slowly. Oh, good, nice call. Yeah. I Robert mean, what, De Niro, young Robert De Niro in that film. And Michael Moriarty. And, yeah, yeah, that's another good one. That's a, lovely, that's a sad and lovely movie. That one's not on your favorites list, though? I guess not. So, so, so Pride of the Yankees, I would say, is number one. Uh, Field of Dreams might be number two. It's, it, it, yeah, it's in the top five, right? Um, yeah, the, the first Bad News Bears movie is great. Totally agree. I think maybe that's my favorite baseball movie. It's it's it, what 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 a what, what, yeah. It's it's a it, that's awesome. And it's a movie uh, that sort of couldn't be made now. So politically incorrect, you could only get away with it in the 1970s. Yes, absolutely true. Um, a young, amazing Tatum O'Neill. Yeah, um, right. Oh, and anything with Walter Matthau is worth, worth watching. I think. Yeah, I, I'm gonna have to put Bull Durham in the list. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Bull Durham is great. Bull Durham tells it like it is. Um, you know, baseball is a a a, a dirty, perverse <laughs> endeavor, and Bull Durham definitely shows that. I think that's that's got to be there. I, I am not personally a Kevin Costner fan, but that was a good role for him. He was he he was good in that. Crash Davis, absolutely, yeah, yeah. And, and everyone was great in that. Susan Sarandon and Tim. She Robin. was great. Um, Jim Robbins' Nuke Lelouch is one of my all-time favorite awesome. sports characters. Yes. All-time. Well, so thinking about baseball films, what should Major League Baseball do next? I mean, first of all, they've, they've already said this was such, such a hit. We're doing it again. I think it's going to be the Cubs and the Reds next year. Um, those players walking out of the cornfield. The Reds make sense because they're the team that won the World Series in 1919. Yeah, uh, against and I guess well, and, the, and the Cubs are an original franchise, so I guess they make sense too. So I'm trying to think of what other films Major League Baseball can can kind of riff off or or um, uh, plagiarize in the name of, of of making money. I think we named a couple of them. I mean, I think they should have a Bad News Bears game. They just play it on some, yeah. some some little league field in Southern California, and where the the players get berated physically and verbally by their alcoholic manager. Um, <laughs> it would be like being on the Chicago White Sox right now with Tony Larusa as your manager. That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's true. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. 
And what about, uh, I don't know, could we do an Angels in the Outfield somehow? Jonathan, I've never seen Angels in the Outfield. What, yeah. what, it's, not, it's not a great movie anyway. Well, that's okay. Lots of baseball movies aren't I mean, good. it's got this supernatural element. And, okay, know. and does this take place in, in Anaheim Stadium? It, it does, yes. Okay, yeah. so that's easy. Yeah, yeah. How about, how about an eight men out game, speaking of eight men out, where one of the teams is actively trying to throw the game? And we don't know which one it is. And we all bet on it. And we try to figure so, it out. I think, Matt, if you and I can find a way to bankroll that, that would be great. <laughs> it's hard to see Major League Baseball wanting to relive. Wanting to relive the, I don't know. Hey, man, if it sells and it gets eyes on the game, I think oh, Major League true. Baseball. That's true. I mean, it is funny, Matt, you know, thinking about this, that Major League Baseball takes this movie that is really all about repudiating Major League Baseball's treatment of Joe yeah. Jackson, and they just totally embrace it anyway. It's kind of funny. Yeah, uh, Major League Baseball embracing desegregation when Major League Baseball was a force <laughs> for segregation. That's a good point too. Uh, embracing free agency when Major League Baseball stood in the way of, I mean, you know, give it up to Major League Baseball. They know how to pivot and incorporate something if they think it's going to, going to pay. What, what, um, about, what about a Moneyball game? Ooh, there we go. What would that look, look like? What, what would that look like? You There'd could, be a lot of numbers crunching going on. Well, basically, it's like the Tampa Bay Rays, who are now the amazing Moneyball franchise. And it would just be the Rays I, against the A's. Yeah, that's yeah, which would yeah, be tough. Yeah, you could do that. Or you could do the Rays against the Dodgers, since <laughs> there the Dodgers we go. payroll is four times the Rays payroll. And <laughs> the other one I, I'm thinking of, and I don't love the movie A League of Their Own. It's too bad. I want to love the movie A League uh, of Their Own. Um, John Lovett steals the show, I, I think, in that in that movie. But and also, Tom Hanks line, there's no crying in baseball, is a great one. It's iconic, of, of, <laughs> of course. Um, but in all seriousness, I would love to see in that same cornfield, I'd love to see A League of Their Own game where badass female baseball players um, put on a show, show, show people how good female baseball players are. And as sexist as it is, I kind of think they ought to wear the same uniforms that they did in the All-American uh, Girls. That they wore in the 1940s. Uh-huh. Yeah, those chiffon pastel skirts, just to give people a sense of what, if you were a female baseball player in the 1940s, what you had That's to wear. You had to deal with. Yeah. Actually, Matt, this isn't movie specific, but I know you, you, I think you and I have both talked about the great David Epstein book, The Sports Gene. Yeah. And the first vignette in the book is him describing, and God, I'm forgetting her, Jenny. Jenny Finch. Jenny Finch, thank you. The great softball pitcher pitching to Albert Pujols at some like celebrity softball game. And as Epstein describes it, the fielders, it's like Satchel Page in the old Negro Leagues. Like Robin Ventura is lying down with his head on third base for a pillow because he knows that Albert Pujols, at the time, the greatest hitter in baseball. Yeah, in his prime. The greatest hitters of all time. Yeah, Lou Gehrig. Will not be able to touch Jenny Finch because of the nature and trajectory of a softball pitch. I mean, and Epstein tells the story so well. So actually, what about a softball game? You sure. Know, with an elite women's team against major leaguers for like, for real, 
you know. Well, I, I know who I'm putting my money on. I'm putting it on the softball players because as, as Epstein tells us in that remarkable chapter, you know, yeah. we, we were always told, keep your eye on the ball. You yeah. can't keep your eye on the ball. The ball moves too fast. It's, it, it's impossible. So it's all memory. It's just, you just have this like bank load of tens of thousands of pitches. And so you figure out where the ball, where you think it's going to go and then that's you right. swing. And, and Albert Pujols has never seen these pitches. Exactly. And, and as Epstein says to, to that point, Matt, he says, what makes Pujols a great hitter is that essentially he can see one second into the future. That's a great and, way of putting it. I and, forgot and, that line. And, and he can't when it comes to Jenny Finch. And he can't anyway, do that. So that would, I don't know, that'd be fun. <laughs> that would, would be very fun, you know, but yeah. it, it, it makes me think of one other part from that, um, maybe my favorite part in that, in that story that um, Epstein tells. Yeah. Uh, the, the guy who's on deck actually, or who's supposed to hit next is Barry Bonds. Oh, and, right. Barry, and Barry Bonds sees what, what's, what's happening and he says, nope, <laughs> I'm out. You know, just like Barry Bonds was smart enough not to, pull a Roger Clemens and testify before Congress on steroids. Give him that. That was way that, that proves he's smarter than Roger Clemens. And just to be clear, there has never been a pitcher in history that Barry Bonds was not eager to step in against. Yeah, exactly. And he was in big trouble when he did. Yeah. And he, he was smart enough to know I got no shot. Why am I going to yeah, do that, it? That, I forgot that that's, that's a hilarious and awesome part of the story. Yeah. But I, I think that's a great idea. Let's, let, let's have a softball game or a baseball game. Um, well, I don't know if we need to make it against men against women, but, but something along those lines. But more games on, in the cornfield. That was a spectacular setting, despite all the cheesery. I thought yeah. it was spectacular. spectacular. All right, so one, one other movie I wanted to mention, Matt, I, I just, that just came into my head is The Natural. Oh yeah, okay. Uh, without a doubt, one of my five. I think I think I've named five now, so that's probably my fifth favorite. So that's a movie starring Robert Redford. It's actually based on a true story of a baseball player, Eddie Waitkiss, who's shot by a woman in a hotel room. Um, in this case, Robert Redford is shot by somebody, and has his. Originally, he's a pitcher. Harriet he, Bird shoots him in the movie. Right. Who is it? Harriet Bird, played by Barbara Hershey. Barbara Hershey, right, 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 right. Oh, did I have a Barbara Hershey thing in the 80s because of Hoosiers and The Natural? She was in all my sports movies. Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah. The Hoosiers and other great, yeah. So yeah, well, The Natural seems like it's tailor-made for some kind of baseball reproduction. Well, so let's put them in New York Knights uniforms. I think they filmed that at an old minor league stadium in I Buffalo. Yep, so we yep. put them there and we have them play baseball during a lightning storm where someone is likely to get hit by a lightning, just like in the in the finale of the movie. That would and work. Some, at least one person has to hit a home run into the lights that just touches off the greatest light show you've ever seen at a baseball game. You ever read the book, The Natural by Bernard Malamute? I never read it now. Oh, Jonathan. Right now, as soon as we're done, get up and read it. You'll okay. love it. Okay. It's filled with baseball lore and very, very different from the movie. Just like um Matt, you assign that book in your class ever or I, I used to, but the students never read it. Um, so I just so I just stopped. Yeah, it's it's a great book and it's filled. I mean, it's uh, you, you kind of have to have, which I don't, but you kind of have to know a little bit of have a PhD in like English literature to understand all of the things that Malamute is actually doing there. I've, I've, I've heard lectures about it. So now I understand what's going on there. Okay. 
Uh, there's a lot in there. Let's let's do it. Hey, we have totally bored Daniel with our rambling about the movie. Let's read the book and have a podcast where we just talk about that book for like 30 hey. minutes. Dan, by think? the way, Daniel just submitted his resignation letter. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I literature. I know these kids nowadays, they don't like reading books. Yeah. Um, all right, Jonathan, we said we were just going to riff for like 20 minutes, make this kind of a mini episode, but we just wanted to, you know, yeah. hear each yeah. other talk about this stuff. Closing thoughts on the Field of Dreams game? Um, it was it, kudos to baseball because like you, Matt, I thought, oh, my God, this sounds so ridiculous. Um, and I obviously was not happy with the outcome of the game, but they 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 touched a nerve in, in, in a good way. And and now I'm kind of looking forward to the next one. Yeah, it actually kind of kickstarted my interest in baseball this season. I actually kind of don't start paying attention to baseball until about midway through. This is a little later than usual, even though my team, the San Francisco Giants, still have the best record in baseball, clinging to it because here come the Dodgers, damn it, with that $7 billion payroll. But the Giants are, are, are doing their best. Uh, maybe, maybe it'll be Giants and Yankees in the World Series. Like It could, um, it could be. What was that, 62, Jonathan? It's 62. Right, Yankees, Yankees won in seven games. Uh, Bobby Richardson, why couldn't McCovey have hit the ball two feet higher? <laughs> no one knows what, what we're talking about. I think that's our sign to go. Yeah, yeah. All right, Jonathan, uh, you want to take us out? Yeah, Matt, this is fun. Um, and we'll do it again soon. This has been another episode of the Agony of Defeat podcast, which you can find on Spotify, iTunes, and anywhere, SoundCloud, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Um, and thanks again to Daniel Myrick, the great, our great producer, um, and also featured trombonist for the UNC marching band, by the way. Uh, Is that true, Daniel? Are you the featured trombonist or, or are you just featured in our- I just, I, I, I wasn't yeah. necessarily saying the only featured one, but you know. No, the featured, he's the heart and soul of the UNC the marching band. So thank you again, Daniel, as always, and we will see you all next time.